would we be if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God? God bless you. It's good to be here tonight. And it's so good to have a microphone that works. Isn't it just science is absolutely amazing. They have some stuff that really works. Other times it just makes you mad. You just want to take it off and throw it away somewhere. But you just got to keep patient with these guys. Let's give them a hand up there. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we just have to be patient with them, don't we? Yeah. We certainly appreciate all the effort that they've um, put forth in doing all this and all the work and all. So we finally get it. I'm just hoping that we get it three days before the rapture at least so we can say, well, we had three good services. <laughs> Let's turn tonight, if you would, to the book of Zechariah, chapter 6, verse 9. Now, we've been having a lot of people um, asking about our dedication services and what dates that we're going to do it. And I threw out middle of May and I, th I had threw back at me, this one's going to be gone, that one's going to be gone, another one's going to be gone. So I'm going to throw some more out at you tonight. Um, I've been wanting to have a special meeting every, every year anyway. So um, I'm thinking that we will have it the last, um, the last day of June and first and second day of July uh, for dedications. That'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That should give everybody plenty enough time to make plans. We've got people from Canada, people from Europe, people from France, people from all over the United States um, that's wanting to come if it works out where they can. So maybe that'll give everybody enough time to where they can make plans to come. And of course, all the local folks are cordially invited. Y'all please come too. Amen. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them of the captivity even of Heldei, of Tobijah, and Jadei, which are come from Babylon. And come thou the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver and gold, and make crowns, and set upon the head of Joshua. Now listen what he's going to do. Set on the head of Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now what a peculiar setting that this is. So they're rebuilding the temple, They've got just a remnant of people from Babylon, some from Persia, some from different parts, and they're gathering together. And God tells this prophet to go in and take silver and gold and to make a crown and set on the head of Joshua. Now, this is, of course, not the Joshua that was in Moses' day. And then when he does that, he gives this prophecy of the Lord Jesus. And you think, why in the world would God have blended them two together. Now, notice what he says. Speak unto him, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch. So, I wonder what some of these modern folks that want to criticize 
prophets over saying this and that and the other, and they don't understand them. I wonder what they'd said about Zechariah. Whenever Zechariah says this actually to Joshua, and he says, behold, the man whose name is the branch. And they probably, the critics of that day would say, well, is that him? Or is that Jedediah? Or who is he even talking about? I believe that man's a false prophet. I don't think what he said come to pass. But you see, we live on this side of the fulfillment of him saying it. To us, it makes better sense, does it not? But can you imagine living in that day? And you're a message follower, as we would say. And you believe God sent this prophet. And you hear this prophecy. You're probably like the rest of them. You didn't understand it either. So you think, what did the man mean? Was he calling Joshua the branch? Was he calling Jedediah? What what was the man saying? But then you go on and you think, he couldn't have been talking about Joshua. But the Lord tells him, speak unto him. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. But the thing of it is, Joshua is a high priest. Zerubbabel is the one building this temple. So the critics would have said, that man don't even know what he's talking about. This man's not even building the temple. Well, he wasn't talking about that man. But God veiled it in such a way, and that gem of prophecy laid there for hundreds of years. I'd say the devil didn't even know who it was. (laughs) Notice verse 13. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory. And he shall set and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, which was never allowed in the whole time of the kingdom of Israel. Only one man tried to do that, and we remember he was stricken with leprosy. But God is going to merge both offices, king and priest, into one. And they probably thought, this guy's a false prophet. While this man never was a king, he never was a mixture of that, I hope we don't do the same thing in our day. He shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So the office of king and the office of priest will merge together in whoever this man is, and there will be reconciliation and peace in both of these offices. I mean, I'd like to be remembered tonight as we pray. I'd like for you to remember Carol tonight. She's not feeling well. She's at home sick. Also, my daughter, Lish, is sick. And Lance had some dental work, extensive dental work done today, so he's not feeling very well. Also, Brother Dan Dyer <clears throat> is needing, needing prayer. Uh, who else with your hand up before the Lord? God bless you. Can we just take these requests before the Lord? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so blessed tonight to be once again in this place that you have given us. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we not only have a nice place to be able to come and worship, but what makes it so wonderful is that you are here. It wouldn't make any difference how nice it was, how pretty it was, how clean it was, how brand new it was. 
if you don't show up, then we sure don't want to be here. But we know as long as you are here, that's what makes it church. So, Father, we bring our needs, our requests, our desires before you. You've told us that we could approach the throne of grace through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And we believe that our prayers will be answered according to the will of God, and they will be accepted through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we bring the needs that I have mentioned, also, Father, of the hands of the people that were uplifted, no doubt people sitting at home, people streaming the service. We pray that you'd be mindful of them as well. I ask you, Father, that you would help me tonight, help me to get out of the way. Lord God, hold my mouth to anything that would displease you. May I be so surrendered to the Holy Ghost that you can speak through me to your children to minister to their needs, and we'll give you the praise for it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I've been studying prophecy for the most of my life. Whenever I was a Pentecostal preacher, the only book that I read was the Bible. So I committed a lot of the Bible to memory. So I could quote it, quoted it, quoted it. Whenever I'd stand and preach, what little bit of understanding that I had, that's what I quoted. I didn't quote Malachi 4. I didn't quote Charles Spurgeon. I didn't quote Webster. I quoted the Bible. But as much as I loved it and as much as I quoted it, I was blind to much of the truth that I was quoting. And one day, God helped me to realize that there was more to His Word than just being able to quote it. That's the intellectual part. So someone who has a mind and a pretty good memory would be able to commit a lot of it to memory and be able to quote it and do their entire life spending it that way and actually never understand very much about it at all. So we realize that God has chosen a way, that he would make his way known. And we know part of the keys to that is Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So we can see here, now God is working in a twofold way in the ministry of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was one of the restoration prophets because they'd went down into Babylon there for 70 years, and God had told them under the ministry of Jeremiah that they would come back. And we know that Nehemiah the cupbearer, he began to get a burden for the people of God. Remember, Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah was not uh, a prophet, but he was uh, going to be a governor. So God needed these different administrations to go back to the land of Israel. Now, Ezra had already went ahead of him several years, and he's there as the foundation part, Ezra being a priest. So the priesthood is going to be essential. The lawgivers are going to be essential, but they also need a governor. So the governor is going to be Nehemiah. Nehemiah fulfills a great position in the work of God going on. But here is Zechariah, which is one of the restoration prophets, also during the same time frame, close to the same time frame of Malachi and also Micah. These brothers, these men, are called minor prophets of the Old Testament. 
And yet, because of that, because our book is quite short. But God had a lot to say under the ministry of some of these great men. And Zechariah was one of those that was able to write of the messianic prophecies of the first coming of the Lord Jesus and also of the millennium coming. So here God merges this together, as I mentioned to you last Wednesday night, that God is actually dealing with currently what's going on. So they're rebuilding the temple, they're restoring the wall, they went through that several years ago in the book of Nehemiah, and now they're coming up to part of the crowning part. So what they're doing, God is prophesying by words, but God is also prophesying by symbols. Now, prophecy isn't always like this. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow there'll be an earthquake that'll come down through Johnson City. It'll be a 7.5. All of you that live near the Carter County line, stay away from that. Now, that's prophecy. But yet, there's also prophecy in the Old Testament that God would have someone like David that would get in the spirit of prophecy and he began to prophesy in Psalms 21, 22, rather verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All my bones, they stare at me. And he goes on and on. And your David is actually in the passion of that prophecy. But yet, we don't have it written where any of the rest of the prophets acted quite that way. But yet, it was still prophecy. Then we have Joseph that never said, thus saith the Lord, one time. Not one time. But in Joseph's life was written types of prophecy. So Joseph never said, I am a type of the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to marry a Gentile wife. I am a type of the Lord Jesus, so my brothers will sell me. I am a type of of the Lord Jesus, so my brothers will despise me because I'm spiritual. He never one time said that. But yet his prophecy was him acting out the very life of Christ itself. You see, it was Christ hid in Joseph. It was Christ hid in Abraham. It was Christ hid in many of the lives of the prophets. Now, what we see here is Christ again hid in a symbol of God telling this prophet to go down and take silver and gold and to make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua. But in reality, Joshua is not going to be the king of Jerusalem. But yet it is a symbol. Now what you look when you look at this and you realize that God is actually having him to make a crown for a prophetic carpenter. Now, before he ever tells of the prophecy of the role of the carpenter, he makes the crown in type and sets it on Joshua's head. And the people are probably pondering and wondering and thinking, what in the world is he doing? This man is not a king. He's not even the genealogy of a king. How come he's calling him a king? But God is having him to act out the prophecy in another. Well, I'm totally convinced by this, then that we ourselves can be a part of a prophetic vision 
And yet we live our life every day. We walk on the earth. We love our wives, our children. We live our lives. We do what we're supposed to do. And we don't even realize what we are doing as it was with Brother Biscoe many, many years ago whenever he was going to be a part of the vision. And he didn't even know it. His wife didn't even know that he's supposed to put a green checkered shirt inside of his bag. He didn't even know he had one until he fell in the water and went to change his shirt and he pulled it out and whenever he walked out, there he was with a green checkered shirt. A part of the vision, but not studying to be a part. A part of the vision, but not trying to be a part. Just doing what? They were hunting. They were not even on a 40-day fast. They were not even, you know, on a Shabbat before the presence of God and seeking God day and night. They were hunting. They were just having a good time together as brothers. And little did he know he was fixing to move into a part of a vision. Now, many of us, more than likely, will never see many visions in our life. Maybe some of you have. I've seen a few in my life. But for the most part, most of us will never see a vision. And yet, many people will tend to look at that and say, well, I'm not spiritual because I don't have many dreams. And I'm not spiritual because I don't have many visions. Well, you know, just because a man does have visions doesn't necessarily mean that he's more spiritual than those who don't have them. It just simply means God calls that man to be able to do that. But whether or not you see a vision, you can actually be a part of one. Now, myself, I would rather be a part of the vision of the last day than just be a person who can see a vision and not live what they see. Because believe me, I run into many of them in Pentecost and they could see all kinds of visions. As a matter of fact, I seen a man one night call a woman out and done something that was just totally, completely wrong. And after he called her out, he called me out, the very next person, and told me what I prayed that day. The very words I told to God. The very words I said by myself. My wife didn't even know what I prayed. No one knew what I prayed. And yet that man told me word for word what I told to God. I thought that was so spiritual. I thought it was so phenomenal. And I thought it was so wonderful until I found out that man had a girlfriend here and another girlfriend there and another girlfriend somewhere else while he's married to another woman. Well, praise the Lord. What is that? False anointed one at the end time. So don't get all down because you don't see visions, but get all up because you're part of one. You see, as the bride, the prophet of God saw us in a vision. And what was that vision? It was the bride being in line. But remember, there were some who stepped out of line. But because they were bride, they did not stay out of line, but they come back in line. So I would rather be one who can be a part of that. Remember, it was bride. You notice in that vision, he didn't see them separated as being preachers and being prophets and being prophesiers. What he saw was the bride. And they were typified by who? Preachers? No. They were not typified by preachers. They were not typified by being singers. They were not typified by being musicians. They were all typified as being women of all different cultures. Isn't it amazing? So here wasn't a main preacher up front and then a secondary preacher and a third preacher and then a singer and then a piano player and an organ player. It wasn't none of them even seen. They were all typed by what? Women in the vision. 
So even men, which are preachers, prophets, whatever they are, they still come under the symbol of being the bride type. Is that right? And there they were identified as those who heard the voice of the message of the last day and they got their eyes on the church and when they did, they began to veer off and follow that church downward. And he screamed back, get back in line, get back in line. He comes back to himself, standing in the room, screaming to the bride to get back in line. I believe she come back in line. I myself desire to be a part of those in the vision. Anybody else here with me? Now, Zechariah, whenever he moves into this, and who knows if the man even realized himself that God was going to pick him up. Now, remember, prophets see their visions in the realm of the fourth dimension. We know God created seven dimensions in the beginning because he knew that we would need these seven dimensions in time to be able to communicate, which are light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. So in the fourth dimension is actually where diseases Again, in the fourth dimension is where television is. In the fourth dimension is where prophets see their vision. So in that realm, a prophet has the ability to be able to see a vision like having a dream with his eyes wide open. So he'll stand right there and look at you, Brother David Johnson, and see you as a five-year-old boy and then see you as the age you are now and then maybe look ahead in your future and see you as a 70 or 75-year-old man. And it could go from one scene to another to another in a matter of seconds. How could he do that? It's beyond time travel. It's beyond light travel. It's fourth dimension travel. So he's moving in there and he's able to see all of that and that's why that that gift is so absolutely perfect because when God taps into that of a man who's called to be that, God made it so that that man cannot say error. Well, praise the Lord. That's why God captured prophets to be able to reiterate his word. I'm not made that way, okay? Every sermon I've ever preached has had mistakes in it. I've never preached a perfect one. I've been preaching most all of my life, and I've never preached one perfect sermon. I dare say it would be nice to have one under your belt before you go, but more than likely I never will. Because only a prophet is made to where whenever he speaks, thus saith the Lord, it cannot be wrong. Because God so captures that into that realm of the fourth dimension that the prophet so moves aside, he can't even say what he wants to say. He can't even say what he's thinking. And no doubt they were standing there and the human part is thinking this and that and the other. But God's direct contact into the gift of that man's life, he had to do it that way in order to write the Bible. Do you think these men would have ever spoke these things of thus saith the Lord on their own if they'd have thought it through? Would Isaiah have ever said, a virgin shall conceive? If he would have run that through his intellectual mindset, what in the world? Why, why am I going to say that? Well, there's nobody going to believe that. They'll make fun of me. They'll ridicule me. But God so tapped into the gift in that man's life, he really didn't have no say about it. It really didn't even matter if he didn't even believe it once it was done. And we know sometimes a prophet would say things and then they'd get a, an attitude about God. Didn't Jonah do the same thing? And others done the same thing. Jeremiah said, I made up in my mind I wasn't going to preach no more. Why? It caused him all kinds of trouble, all types of anxiety. He said, I made up my mind I wasn't going to speak no more in the name of the Lord. And then he come back and said, but his word was like a fire shut up inside my bones. 
So you know what? He really didn't have an option. He really didn't have, well, God said, what do you think? You want to go and do it again? He didn't have an option. There was something inside of there, that ability from that gift tied to the fourth dimension. He jumped right back out and said the same thing again. Now watch what God does as he breaks into this gift in Zechariah. Let's look in verse 13. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now what we're talking about is not that it's the man, it's not the man Joshua, it is not the man Zedadiah, it's not the man Zerubbabel, but it is actually God prophesying of a man which will come and build the real temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. The glory of what? The temple of the Lord. And he shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Now whoever this man is, notice it doesn't say that he's an angel. It does not say he's a cherubim, a seraphim, a zoon, but it actually calls him a man. The man whose name is the branch. So this man is going to build the temple of the Lord. So it is a promise of a future building. You imagine the Jews, they are so elated and they are so excited because they're getting their temple back. And after all these years, they haven't had one. And they're getting their temple rebuilt. And while that is being rebuilt and the last touch is being put on it, God is speaking hundreds of years down the road and telling them of another man that's going to come and build another temple. Now, whenever the Jews begin to take these scriptures and down through time, no doubt, some of them begin to look and think, wonder if this could be a messianic prophecy. Well, the temple, which is now being currently under construction, is built by who? Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel is going to be the one that's going to bring it to the consummation and finish it. Joshua has been anointed as being king, which wasn't king. So you imagine the people saying, what is this prophet doing? We're building the house right now, so it'd be like us come and say, praise the Lord, we got to move in here now, a couple of services, now we're starting to build a church a day after tomorrow down the road. And y'all think, poor Brother Donnie, he's lost his mind. The poor guy, he's just flipped from out. You're saying, the poor man, there's something wrong with it. Well, here they are, they're so excited about building the house of God, and this prophet sent up and said, don't be too carried away with this, because there's coming a man that's going to build the temple of the Lord. And they're thinking, build the temple of the Lord? Well, this is the temple of the Lord. Prophecy can be so mysterious, can it not? So the temple which he's building is not the one that Zechariah's prophet is prophesying about. It is going to be a spiritual temple which is going to be what? The church of the living God. Yet the prophet Zechariah doesn't say it in those terms. Who knows if the man even knew what he was talking about or not. And no doubt the prophets did whenever they would say something in the name of the Lord and they would write it down or have a scribe that would write it. Some of them couldn't write. So they would actually have a scribe that would follow them around. And they would write it. They would just put it down as they said it. And you imagine and say, well, what, what did I say? Well, well you, you call that woman out and you said her name was so-and-so. And is that right? Is that, is, that, is that what your name is? I don't even remember it. Remember our, our modern day prophet done the same thing. So they would say, you mean I said that? Is, that? is that what I said? That's what you said. I wrote it down word for word. And then prophets would think, oh my goodness, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child and you'll call his name Emmanuel, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You imagine they must have lived such an odd, peculiar life. And people would have criticized them. They would have made fun of them, but they had to stand on what they believed was thus saith the Lord. 
Now watch, if this was a prophecy, now as I said, we're looking back, and naturally it's much easier for us, hindsight is always 20-20. So we're looking back, and we're looking back through the cross, and we can see the fulfillment of that scripture. Watch in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Now notice what this man whose name is the branch is going to do. He is going to build the temple of the Lord. Now, unlike Zerubbabel and all of those men in that day, they was taking up out of the rubble and they were digging up stones. So what they would do, they would make basically a tell. It's called a tell, T-E-L-L. Like right now, whenever they're digging down in the city of David around Jerusalem and they just dug under and found the, the steps that went up to the place to be able to worship. And they said these were the same steps the Lord Jesus would have walked upon. Yet they had to dig down like 22 feet under dirt and stone and rubble and all kinds of things. So what did they do? So instead of carrying all that rock away, they would just haul in more and level it out. Haul in more and level it out. So they would build one on top of another, on top of another. So they're digging down and digging down. And the more they dig, the more identity they find of who lived there. It's the same way with us. If we can dig past our traditions and our fears and all those sort of things and really find out who we really are. Well, he is going to build the house of God, but he's not going to use the stones that they use. What's he going to use? Well, he will have to find something, a material by which he can build the temple out of, the house of God. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be Jerusalem stone? Now, Jerusalem still has this. to word that if you build inside the old city walls, it is a legal mandate. You must use either old Jerusalem stone or new Jerusalem stone, which is still mined. I saw a video not long ago where they had actually found one of the original places to where Solomon and his men went down in there and mined all of this stone and took it out of the ground. It's a mandate in order to keep this particular look. Well, God has a look in his mind of what he wanted the temple to be. Now, it's not a certain skin color and it's not a certain weight and a certain stature, you gotta be so tall. But there would have to be something that he would be able to purchase or buy or create or recreate in order to have the material to make this. Now, we know it has whenever we build a house or a building and we want something, so y'all are sitting on a concrete floor, so we would call the concrete company and say, we want so many yards, and they would come, well, this wall here is made out of metal studs, this one's made out of studs, got steel on top, yep, this wall here is made out of plywood, two layers of plywood right here, two by twelves running down this way. So we've got all sorts of material. And each one of those things has a specific use. And yet it's the same way in the body of God. Now Zachariah's prophesying that there's going to come a construction man. And he's going to be the head contractor for deity and construction company. And he's going to be able to make this type of body. And it will be a body both natural and spiritual. And he will bear the glory of this temple himself. And he will build the temple. So where is he going to get the material to make it? Well, it won't be stone. And it won't be out of the rubble that Zerubbabel and them has now dug out. But it will be a buried treasure that is carried around in human bodies. It won't even be knowledgeable or visible to those who pack the treasure. 
They will be born like other mortals. They will come into life, born into time. Uh, they will have a lot of them no purpose in life at all. Others will have a great agenda of what they want to accomplish. And one day they will meet this head contractor. And he will change their lives forever. He will set them into the economy of God and he will start working on them from the inside out. And then he will place them in relation to a body on the earth by which they can fellowship. Now we know that we come to the house of God not just to see one another. We don't come here just to be seen. But we come to fellowship with each other truly. But we come mainly to fellowship with God. Is that right? But yet we also realize we need one another. I need you. I trust you need me. You not only need me, but you need those brothers and sisters that are sitting around you. So here he comes to the earth now, whenever the Lord Jesus comes upon the earth, and he's going around, as it were, looking for building material. And he found it, some of it was in a refuse pile for sure. Some of it was found to where even the devil didn't think there's no hope for him. But the devil could only see what was on the inside and be able to peer down into the realm of the spirit and see what he thought was damaged goods. So damaged that he probably thought they'd never be able to be redeemed. But this general contractor has the ability to look past the flesh, past the spirit, into the soul and see representation. Now, even at that, when he knows the reputation is there, it is stained, it is soiled by, by sin, and it must be brought through a process in order for the builder to be able to use it. Now watch the words of the Lord Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, but to give his life a ransom for how many? Oh, you mean not all. Not every mortal lives on the earth. Now you want to argue, argue with the Lord Jesus. These are his words. So the son of man came not to be ministered to, but to give his life as a ransom for many. So what would be a ransom? Well, you know, we've heard of ransoms in our times. So some rich person, they capture a daughter of theirs or a granddaughter, a son or something like that. And they will call them on the phone and they'll mask their voice. You've heard that. And they will mask their voice and they say, we've got your son. Here he is. Dad, dad. It's me, it's me. Uh, you know, uh, do what they say, Dad. They're, they're going to kill me if you don't do it. Then they take the phone back away from them and they say, Look, we want two point million dollars. Well, most of us, they'd say, Just go ahead and bury him. Well, I could do that. 75 cents, maybe. Well, we want two point million. That's why they don't capture our youngins. Some of y'all was praying they would, huh? We ain't, got, we, we ain't got no money to be able to ransom them. So they tell them, look, we want this money. You better not call the police neither. Because if we see the police, we're killing him dead in a hammer. So we're going to be at a certain, certain spot. You get that, then you meet them and we'll turn them loose. Well, why do they call that? They're holding them for a ransom. Well, then they try to figure every way they can to mark the bills. They try to put secret messages on them and everything so they can trace it down. Well, we were all born in this prison house in sinful humanity. And we were all held and captive by who? The devil, the enemy of the Lord God. So we were held in this place and we were held for what? A great ransom. Moses couldn't do it. Jeremiah couldn't do it. Zechariah couldn't do it. No one could do it because man was in a great strait. It could not be an angel to redeem him and he couldn't be a kinsman redeemer. God was the spirit so God couldn't redeem him. So there was only one thing that could be done. The answer to man's dilemma was what seemed to be a crossing of the two. 
Now, God himself was in this holy strain, the mighty Elohim. He could not die, of course. He could not even, even be seen by the natural eye. And here was man on the earth. Everyone broke the womb. Come forth a sinner. Marked by sin, tainted, come to the world, speaking lies. So how in the world are you ever going to be able to get something or someone that can be able to meet the two? Well, the answer is right here. And what we call the cross. Now look at these two beams. What we call it? A cross. So the symbol that he died on symbolized who and what he was. He was a cross in the sense he was both God and man. So looking at it from the outside, they thought he was simply a man. And part of the time it becomes so confusing even to the disciples because the prophet said part of the time it was the Father speaking and part of the time it was Jesus speaking. So the Father would speak and then Jesus would speak. And then the Father would speak and Jesus would speak. I hope you understand you yourself are the same way. Once you become truly born again, and the Father lives in you. You know what it's like to get that pulsation of faith and something speaks out of you that's not even yourself. You ever had it to happen to you? Well, that's the Father speaking out of you and then there's other times you do the talking. Well, most of us, it's probably us does most of the talking most of the time, ain't it? So the Lord Jesus dying on the cross was only an answer of his life that it was deity which had been crossed and mixed together with humanity. This is the only way to bring the building material back into the presence of God. Notice again in Acts 20 and 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So now he was a ransom in Matthew 20. Now he is the purchase price. And remember in the Old Testament that they actually had what was called redemption money. How I many knows what that metallurgical value was? It was not bronze, it was not gold, but it was silver. So silver was the metallurgical symbol of redemption. Now remember, gold is deity. So gold itself was not what redeemed the firstborn. So you had a mule that was born, or a donkey, I should say, not a mule, a donkey that was born. He was flop-eared. He was all bow-legged, and he'd stand around, and his mama would say, oh, son, oh, you're so ugly. They'll kill you as sure as they see you. And that little fighter would say, mama, 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 I'm so bow-legged. I'm so ugly. My ears is flopping. And his mama, if she was really talking the word, she'd say, sonny boy, today is your day. You are my firstborn. Because you are my firstborn, you can be redeemed. Oh, glory to God. Now, notice what they did was they would go through the act of redemption and he would be redeemed. But with a man, they, God gave them silver, silver. And they would be able to take that silver because God wanted the firstborn of all the tribes of Israel. But God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you keep your firstborn children, but you can redeem them from me. So buy them back from me and let silver speak on their behalf. So a firstborn son, which would be me, Don and Betty's first son, firstborn, that when I was firstborn, by law, God had a claim on me. So God, by his law, would have claimed me, but mom and daddy would have went and said, now God, we love Donnie, and we want to keep Donnie in our house. So we're going to give this silver, this redemption money, to buy Donnie so Donnie can be in our house. And God said, I'll trade with you. I'll take the silver, you take Donnie. There's probably times they wish they'd have kept the silver, maybe. <laughs> 
But God did that so that they could redeem their firstborn. Now here we come then, after the cross, when the Lord Jesus comes to the earth, whenever he is now going to act out the part of the buyer and of the judge, which is satisfied by the amount that was paid. Now, I know I don't want to confuse you tonight, but it's, it's not three gods, it's not even two gods, it's the same God acting out different parts of the drama. So one time you see him, he's walking through the pawn shop, pushing a buddy, a buggy of electric attributes that he picked up off the shelf. Here was one in a bar. Here was one in this church. Here was one in that church. And he began to set them all down through there. And he headed right up toward the front because he had the matching part of their soul. So he had the peace by which they could be redeemed by. So he stands out there and he presents the buggy and he lays them up on there. And then all of a sudden he changes his garments and he steps over behind the cash register and he pays himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the justice of God was met in this human cross of deity and humanity and the justice of God finally was met by what? Mercy. So mercy and grace kissed and embraced. You see, they had been divorced. They'd been apart for all these hundreds and hundreds of years. But through the marriage of deity and humanity, mercy and judgment met together in the person of the Lord Jesus. That's why you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. How? How is that even possible? Because the man whose name was the branch, he was able to come down and by the material to build a church. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Now notice, I know people, especially in this age, don't like to be told what to do. You know, well, you shouldn't dress this way. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't do this. People don't like it. They just don't. They just don't like it. But remember, you are bought with a price. And in reality, you are not your own. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, that tells me then you don't understand redemption. Now, this Gatorade was bought. I'm not sure who bought it, but I'm glad they did. They bought this Gatorade. A price was paid for this Gatorade. Now, it is mine because they probably up here and set it on my pulpit. It's in my left hand. And if I want to take my right hand and take the lid off of my bottle of Gatorade, if I want to do that and drink the whole bottle, it's mine. I can do what I want to. If I want to take the lid off, it's getting pretty warm. I don't like warm Gatorade. So if I want to take the lid off and take it to the back and pour it down the sink, I can do that. Why? Because it is mine. You are not your own, but you are bought with a price. And what for? For the house of God. Well, I've got my own life. I've got my own agenda. No, you are not here for your own agenda. I'm not here for my own agenda. I am here to serve his purpose. Praise the Lord. And he bought us with the price, and therefore he will put us where he wants us. Oh, glory. Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Mm-mm. And in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians 7:23, ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. This is why you don't owe your allegiance to men. You don't owe your allegiance to the world. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he prepares them, he buys them, and then he prepares them. He renews them by his grace. 
And he begins to form and shape and polish them in order to fit in the predestinated slot that he ordained them to walk in. Now, for many of us, it will be totally different than what we want. It'll be totally different than what we thought. But I want you to notice in the book of Genesis, we find a conveying of God and where he was. After man fell, God walked. God walked with his people. Now notice this verb. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and he begat sons and daughters. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Genesis 6, 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. So notice then what we find in the book of Genesis. We find God walking with men. This is the relationship that God chose up in the book of Genesis. Again, we see God now changing in the book of Exodus. So we move from Exodus and we move over Genesis rather to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. And God said, let them make me, speaking to the children of Israel, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, not walk among them. Now watch God is now entering and bringing the people into a different dispensation. So it's no longer that God will just walk among them, but God wants to dwell among them. Look at the meaning of this word. To settle down, abide, reside. So God wanted to settle down. You imagine. God wanted to settle down. So God said, Moses, let them build me a house. So I can come down and I want to dwell with him. Can you imagine Almighty God wanting to come down and hear the people? So he's going to be in this tent and the people are going to be sitting on all four sides according to their tribal banner. So they will sit there and God was on the inside, this Shekinah presence of God. And God's hearing them talking about trading goats and milk cows. God's hearing them talking about raising their onions and their taters and their maters. And God's hearing them talking about their family problems. And God's hearing them talking about all these domestic things of life. Why? Because God wanted to dwell among them. He wanted to come down and not just walk with an Enoch and walk with a Noah and walk with this man and that man. But God wanted to be right there amongst them and just hear what they're talking about. Lord, have mercy, children. Can you imagine the great eternal wanting to be a part of our life? I believe he wants more than that today. I don't think he just wants to come in here two or three times a week. I think he wants to be with us every day of our life, Brother Paul. I think he wants to be right there. He wants to be a part of your life, a part of your family, a part of your house, a part of everything that you do in life. He wants to be a part of that. People make God this, this creature that's way out yonder somewhere that, it, that does not even concern himself with our problems. That is a lie of the devil. He is concerned about your troubles. He is concerned about your problems. He's concerned about your bills. He's concerned about your shortcomings. He's concerned about you. So things that matter to you matter to God. Wow. Notice this. So God says, 
I'm, that I may dwell among them. Again, Exodus 29, 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Oh my, I will be their God. Verse 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell. He keeps saying it over and over again that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord. And what do we find? God dwelt in the tabernacle until the people of Israel's sins got so horrendous that the glory of God lifted off of the tabernacle and departed away from it, and they renamed it and called it Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. But it was not God's desire or God's choice. Now, this is what happened on the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. A cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I want you to listen now what it was that filled the tabernacle. It was the glory of the Lord. Remember that. The glory of the Lord is what filled the tabernacle. It does not say it was his theophany. It was the glory of the Lord. Remember the prophecy in Zechariah was the man whose name is the branch will build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory himself. So whatever it was that came into that tabernacle, that Shekinah of God, the glory of God is what this man is going to bear whose name is the branch. Notice in verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Oh, what a great thing it must have been. Verse 37, but if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire on it by night. A visible manifestation of the presence of God in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And then God dwelt there and God did until the time ran out. Then what did God do? God had a man by the name of Solomon. And Solomon come and built a temple for God. The glory of God now moves inside of this temple. 1 Kings 8.10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon. The Lord said he would dwell in the thick darkness. Oh, what a time. Well, you know the sad part about it is? Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. So once again, the glory of God leaves the house of God. Can't you understand for a child of God today that is filled with the Holy Ghost, Satan fights you like no other person on the face of the earth. If he cannot get your soul like he once had it, what he wants to do is get you out of fellowship with God. He cannot stand this unity that the great divine architect wanted and created in his body. So once a person is sealed by the Holy Ghost, the devil will never be able to get in that soul again. But the devil will try to make us indifferent or cold or make us bitter 
or make us have attitudes. Remember the scripture in Ephesians 4.30? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of your redemption. So this scripture is actually addressing people that are filled with the Holy Ghost. And people filled with the Holy Ghost can do things that will grieve the Spirit of God. What's he trying to do? The same thing to you in the antitype that he did to the children of Israel to where the glory of God will depart from your life. Some of you, you know what that feeling is? You get cold, you get indifferent, something gets in your life, you still love God, you still go to church, you still, you're not out here running around and doing this and that and the other, but it seems like something's left. Let me tell you what it is. It's the glory. The glory, the glory has left your walk and you're having problems with this. And you know, you go to church and you sit there and you struggle and you struggle and you try to get in and your mind's at Walmart. Some of you have done fix your tractor tonight and some of you have fixed your lawnmower because the grass is starting to grow again. Some of you stopped your hogs and fed your chickens. Well, you need to let them chickens wait till after I get done preaching. What does that? Well, it's the devil, of course, trying to hinder you. If there's any place he will hinder you from, it's the house of God. Why? He don't want you to come here. And he sees this divine purpose that God has done that now the members of Christ on the earth are his glory and they are the place where he dwells. So the glory of God then in the Ezekiel, we see the glory of God move from the threshold of the tabernacle and it goes upon the cherubims and it stands over the cherubims. Hosea 10, 5. And the inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth Haven. Now here they made golden calves and they're worshiping them calves. For the people thereof shall mourn over it and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it for the glory thereof because it is departed from it. So the glory of God wound up leaving again. And we know, of course, whenever, whenever it was rebuilt again, the time and the days of the Lord Jesus, and Herod spent 46 years in building it and adding it, which was actually the second temple. And whenever he enlarged it, enlarged the courtyard and made it very, very beautiful, we have no record whatsoever the Spirit of God ever went back into that place. So where was God when the Lord Jesus was on the earth? In his human tabernacle. Now here, <coughs> excuse me, God's next dwelling place was going to be a human body. Now who was it? It was the master builder himself that stepped inside his own creative body. So the master builder, God the eternal, steps inside of this human body, which we call a son. Now what, what makes it so difficult for us is that we know, having the children, all of us, <clears throat> that whenever we think, well, this, this certain man, he, he had this, and you know, he married this woman, and, and they had a child, and that, that's his son. So we look at that father, and then we think, well, there's the son, which is another person. And that's the way it works in the human strain. But that ain't the way it works in the God strain. And the God's train, the eternal projected something out of his own heart. Christ was the very heart of God. Not another God that went out of that God, but the very portion of that God which the Old Testament kept sealed. They never knew the love of God in the depth that it would be revealed in the New Testament. God projects that out of himself. That's why the Lord Jesus said, I came forth from God and I go back to being God or back to God because that was the projection that could die. The eternal could not die. This was the sonship. Now notice in St. John 10, 38. He said, if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So where is the Father then? 
Now, the Lord Jesus, of course, goes to the temple and he offers a sacrifice as, as Bart Mitzvah, which is 12 years old. And there he was dedicated as a wee little boy. But we have no record he was ever allowed to preach there because he was of the tribe of Judah and not of the tribe of Levi. So he went there, but never allowed to go in behind the holiest of holies. He was never allowed to preach in the holy place of God. But we have no record that God was even there anyway, as far as the same thing that it was in the days of Solomon. So where was God? God was in his new temple, his new house. Now, I'm going to say it to you this way. We've spent years, a couple years now, building this place, a lot of labor, a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. But don't get it in your mind now that this, this building right here is where God lives. So whenever we all come in, God's here. And then when we come in, well, you know, we all go back home and we go our way and we leave God right here because this is where God lives. God is here because you're here. And he wouldn't meet with us if we was in a brush harbor in a storefront because we bring him with us. So it's not like that the presence of God, we honor and we reverence this because this is where we worship him, of course. But you bring him and I bring him and you bring him and you bring him and you bring him. So you bring your lick of fire and that's why we need one another. You understand? Notice this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So here God was in his human temple. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now he goes on the next verse and says he's also given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So now God is having men who are called to preach the gospel and they are carrying out the same thing the master carpenter started 2,000 years ago. That's why the devil hates God called preachers. Why? He knows God called preachers ain't building a building for themselves. Now, Satan loves egotistical anointed preachers because they're building their own little kingdom for their own little name, for their own little deal. But a real true man of God ain't building a Reagan kingdom or a Spencer kingdom or whatever other kingdom. They're simply glad to be identified as a worker in the kingdom of Almighty God. Somebody tell me why in the world would I want to build a Donnie Reagan kingdom and forfeit my rights into eternal life when I can be a part of the biggest kingdom that's ever been on the earth. But you see, I can't build a Reagan kingdom and build to the kingdom of God at the same time. There ain't no way. Totally impossible. It's got to be one of the other. And don't just look at me as a preacher. It's the same thing for you. You can build your own little life, your own little world, your own little kingdom. And then you'll give Jesus just a little bit of space of your life. Or you can give him your all and you'll get rewarded at that day. Oh my goodness, it'll be beyond anything you can imagine in your mind. Notice in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. So the Lord Jesus was the temple or the house of the being which could not be seen. He is the seeable part of the unseen God. Praise the Lord. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So today, then, of course, beginning with Acts 2, he dwells where? In his church. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 7, verse 48, how be it the most high 
dwellest not in temples or churches made with hands, as saith the prophet. So don't think tonight whenever we dismiss you in a little bit that we're all going to go out and Almighty God's going to be left in here and he sleeps in here and he stays in here and this is where God dwells. God dwells in your heart. I believe if we really believe that, we'd act different at home. We'd act different on the job. My goodness, some of you brothers wouldn't come in here wearing a hat for nothing. You wouldn't come in here. Some of you would never come in here and raise your voice. Why, you won't talk after church? You will not talk before church? Good, that's what we should do. We need to reverence that and thank God that we do. But yet, what about in our own life? What about in the house of God? Oh, you wouldn't throw a fit. You wouldn't lose your temper in the house of God or not. But you lose one in this house. We need to recognize where God actually lives and where God actually dwells. Can't you see then why Satan looks at this and Satan says, I hate this. I hate what he's been able to do. So what will he try to do? Divide. Divide. And this is the same context that he's used and the same tactics he used from the Garden of Eden. And that was divide and conquer. So he'll try to divide us among ourselves. He'll try to get in in between the husband and wife in their home. Come on now, don't get quiet on me. He will try to get between the husband and wife in their home and cause them to bicker and fuss and fight and argue and whatever more. Why? He knows you're only as strong as the unity projected in your walk with God. You see, this type of unity is not a denominational auspices that we all join together because we're united so-and-so and united so-and-so. It is each one of us baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Jesus Christ, and yet at the same time, individual members that are as different as day is from night, one from the other. God don't want you to be like me. God don't want me to be like you, but he wants all of us to be like Jesus Christ. And the church said, oh my. So he dwells in the hearts of those that have received his spirit. Notice Psalms 40. So he builds his temple by taking dead stones out of the pit of sin. Psalms 40 and 2. He brought me also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings, praise the Lord. Ephesians 2, 21, and whom all the building fitly framed. I love this because Paul used the words that a carpenter in that day would have used. So it's not like it's just thrown together, you know, you just get this long board and tie it to this stick and tie it to this piece of stucco and just to take a, you know, take a, a piece of scotch tape. I know what we can do, let's, let's duct tape it all together. Duct tape, they say, is just absolutely phenomenal on this day. Well, you can't duct tape a Christian. You can't duct tape. We're not ducks, no how. We're eagles. Amen. And eagles, we don't have to use no tape. We don't want to be taped together. We want to be baptized together. If we're only eagle taped together, we will bust apart. But if we're baptized into the same body by the Holy Ghost, you won't get us apart, brother. In whom all the building fitly framed, fitly framed, Frame together, grow us. What a peculiar building this is. So we can say that the two befores are 10 foot where they need to be 10 foot and 12 foot where they need to be 12 and eight where they need to be eight. 
and you put them all together and you put them all, there's eight foot, there's 10 foot, there's 12 foot, there's 14, there's two by 10s, two by 12s, two by 4s, there's three quarter of an inch and a half. And you look at it and say, wow, that building, them, them in the walls was eight foot. Now they've grown. Them was 10 foot, now they've grown. And them was 12 foot, they've all grown. How in the world can these buildings grow? Well, that's because the master carpenter pulled it together to make it where that they would have stretchable material. Oh, hallelujah. It's fitly framed together, so it's the framework of a building and the materials accurately and carefully cut. Now, I've been working around some of these brothers around here that's been building. And uh, they kind of developed a little phrase whenever we was doing some building and some modifying. So if they couldn't get in touch with me or they was just uncertain about something, they developed this phrase that they would ask for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. Well, some of the things they asked forgiveness for, I made them redo it anyway. (laughs) Because I had something in my mind, something that I wanted it to look like. Oh, oh, brother, don't you be okay with it? And I come in and say, that don't look right. Like I did that cross. I looked at that cross the other day and I said, Brother Dave, that cross is too low. He said, really? I, I believe that's what it needs to go. I said, no, it's too low. So we come over yesterday morning and took it down. You know why? It didn't match what I thought. Well, we wrestled with it and wrestled with it and took it off the wall and redone down the lights and reboard the stone and this and that and the other. And then we got it up and all three of us, Brother Michael and Brother Jackie, four of us, and we stood back there and Brother Dave... And Brother David looked over at Brother Michael and said, he was right. It looks better. (laughs) Now, he could ask for forgiveness all day long, but that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted it high at the top. Now, you see, the Lord has this in his mind. But what we do is say, you know what? I believe it looked better if it's over here. And somebody else said, no, that don't look right. It needs to be over here. And then somebody else said, well, you're both wrong. It needs to be right there. I'm so glad we've got one absolute about what the Lord wants. I wasn't called to tell you, well, I think we need to change it this way. I think the Lord started his church the way he wanted it, and I believe he'll finish it the way he started it. I don't think he started it out wrong. Well, I know some of the message people don't like it because it's built on an apostolic foundation, but I happen to love it because that's the way he started it. And I'll tell you one thing, if he wanted to start it out on playing tapes only, going to church, I figure he could have done that 2,000 years ago. So if he started it out with preachers filled with the Holy Ghost, casting out devils, healing the sick, and preaching the gospel, I don't figure he's gonna close it down with preachers sitting down and pushing play. Well, come on now. Oh, no. He started with men filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking the word of life, laying hands on people. That is the apostolic way of receiving the Holy Ghost that men called of God, born of the Spirit of God, lay hands on those, and that is imparting eternal life. Hallelujah. Why? Because it is the same Lord Jesus in another body doing his same work that he's always done. To be continued. Oh, praise the Lord. 
Is it any wonder that Satan wants to do everything he can to divide us and separate us? My, it breaks my heart when I think about down in every age what he's done, how he's divided the people with doctrines and opinions and theology about this and that and the other. And these people take this side with this doctrine and won't speak to these people. And this one take this side and won't speak. And yet go into heaven and we can't even speak to one another on earth. What are we going to do? Y'all going to walk, walk down the street and you meet that person from that other church? I ain't walking down that street. They, they one thing right now. I ain't going to do it. If you got that attitude, you won't be there. And if they got that attitude about you, they won't be there either. Come on, children. Don't you see why Satan wants to divide us? Can't you see why he wants us to have hard feelings in our heart against this one and that one and the other one we go to church with, even in our own family? And you know as well as I do, it don't take 57 members of a family to get all 57 out of sync. All it takes is one. All it takes is one member of a family getting out of harmony with, with the rest of the family and they can cause more trouble than 50 people can try to fix. Well, praise the Lord, Brother Donnie, preach it. It's the truth. Satan knows how to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell him and tell you, Satan, you are defeated. He's tried for 2,000 years to destroy this house of God. He will never do it. He burned them. He fed them to lions. He crucified them. He divided them by denominations. God sent a prophet, and he's divided this message all down through the time. He's done exactly the same thing, but he never has or never will stop the work of the living God because our God is greater. Our God is bigger. Our God is stronger. Amen. Forgiveness and love is mercy is bigger than the devil's contention and discord. Amen. How many believes it? How many believes God will have a people around the world that will fulfill his word? All hell will never stop it. Oh, praise the Lord. That thing go off? Well, he got mad, didn't he? Hmm. We got a sister that wants to come be baptized tonight. First one to be buried alive in the baptismal pool. I hope, I hope and hope there's all kinds of them. You believe what you want to. I don't believe we're just here. I don't believe we're just here so we could have a new place to come. God has a reason for us being here. There might be a little sheep wandering around out here somewhere. We're going to reach them by God's grace. Hallelujah. How many believes it with all your heart? Oh, don't you love him? Let's sing something together, Harris. They, they come and prepare for the baptism. Brother Joe, you taking care of that? All right. Praise the Lord. I wonder, let's, let's just bow our heads while they're coming and preparing for that. How many of you say, Brother Donnie, with all my heart, I want to be in my place. I want to be in my place in the body. Well, you say, I'm not important if God placed you in the body you are important, and nobody can take your place. I'm not rich. You don't have to be. I ain't either. Lion handsome, huh? I mean, you both got something in common there. Well, in my family tree, this, that, and the other, if God called you, you're a part of us, and we need you. Each of us pulling, pulling together for the purpose of God to see what God is going to do. 
Oh, praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word, Lord. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help us. Father, what a, what a thing we have before us tonight. To see your great program that has unfolded since the dawn of time. To see what you had in your mind before the world began. Satan no doubt thought he had messed it up for good in the Garden of Eden. He thought when he got Abraham down into the land of Egypt, you'd turn your back on him. He thought when he got Moses, you'd forsake him. Every turn of the journey, the failures of men never overrode the sovereignty of God, but vice versa. We're so thankful that you allowed that clause in your covenant for your sovereignty. You knew it would be necessary from time to time to intervene. I thank Lord of our prophet messenger himself pulled his gloves off after the death of his wife and daughter, couldn't stand life no more. Pulled his gloves off on the power line, up the power pole, going to put his hands on those wires and take his own life. But the mercy of God, the sovereignty of God, overrode his human weakness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. When he was going to take his life again, the sovereignty of God. No doubt there's people standing here tonight. If your sovereign grace had not intervened, they wouldn't even be here tonight. Oh, God, we believe we are called for a purpose. And all hell cannot stop that purpose. Father, may you help each of us that we can find our place. I believe with all of my heart, and many of them have. But we know once we find it, like the children of Israel, they fought for years to get their position. Then after they finally gained the ground that they were able to reach in that day, then they had to change their mindset. And they had to fight to keep what they already fought to get. So many of us, Lord, we, we may find ourselves fighting to keep something that we think, my goodness, I overcome that years ago. Why in the world am I here again? Because now we're defending what is already ours. And Satan trying to bring depression or sadness or maybe some besetting sin back on people's lives that they were delivered from years ago. It's nothing but him. We know when the children of Israel conquered the land in Palestine south first, and then they began to move northward. And by the time they moved northward, it took them years to be able to take it all. And by the time they come back, whenever Caleb come to receive his mountain, they had run the giants out of that land. But after years, they moved back in. And what did Caleb find? Them giants had moved right back into that same land. Now he's confronted with some of the same things that they dealt with years before. But he said, give me my mountain. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd help each of us tonight. Father, maybe that mountain is peace. Maybe that mountain is healing over a disease. Maybe it's a sister going through the change of life. Some days she don't even know who she is. Some days she struggles even with her sanity. But Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd give my sisters that claim. 
Lord, as Carol and I ran into a sister the other day that dealt with COVID and lost a bunch of her hair. And as we talked to her there in the store, the tears trickling out of her eyes down her cheeks because of losing her hair. Father, I pray not only for her tonight, but every other one. And you know, I've prayed for many of them after dealing with COVID. In the name of Jesus, I resent that devil attacking our sisters, even some of our brothers. Satan, leave them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We worship you tonight, Father. We want our ground. And if there's more we ain't got yet, we want that too. Hallelujah. We worship you tonight, Jesus. We bless your name, Father. This is Sister Sandy Edwards. Um, she's been coming for quite some time now with Brother Keith. And she told me she was baptized when she was five years old, but there's a lot of things she saw in, around her life that, that was happening that made her really question if, she was, if it was even real, if it even worked, if it would even the right way to do it. And, um, she'd been coming, and she came in here Sunday, and she said when Brother Donnie was, was preaching, she said it was just like it was just her and him. Lord speaking, and I told her, I said, it's the great thing about God. You can have 500 people in here hear the same sermon, and God will speak to 500 different needs. That's just the way he is. And I, I was standing outside talking to her, and, you know, and I explained to her, I said, you know, you don't, we can't search for God. We have, we don't have, God is unsearchable. We don't have that ability, but it's God that finds us. It was a, by purpose that God led her here. It was by purpose that God spoke to her. And she came down and she told Brother Donna, she said, I want to get baptized as soon as possible. So that's where we're at today. So if you'll pray with me, we'll pray for Sister Sandy that when she comes up, that God will fill, fill her with the, the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, you said none other can come, come to you except through that way, Lord. But we know, Father, that the prophet said when that is calling to us, if that's not there, we would never hear it. The deep calling to the deep, and there was something in, in, inside of her, Lord, but you called her name, but she responded. Lord, I think of the woman at the well. She went to get water. That's all she did. Sister Sandy just came to go to church to hear another, another sermon, but Sunday was her day at the well where she met living water. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, as we bury her in this, in this physical water, in this baptistry, Lord, may that living water be what consumes her, Lord. Lord, may you wash her clean inside and out, Lord. May her greatest desire, Lord, is to serve you, to be, to be led by your spirit. Lord, we're, we're, we're taught in, in Matthew, the spirit will lead you to all truth. That's our desire for her, Lord. Fill her with your Holy Spirit as we baptize her. In Jesus' name, amen. Sister Sandy. I'm on your confession and commission by Acts 2.38. I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Aren't you glad he called you?
I'm glad the Lord called our sister. May the Lord be with her. Let's sing together a little bit before we go, shall we? When I think about Hallelujah. Lord, yes, Lord. How he saved how he saved me. Raise me. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. On solid ground Makes me want to shout Hallelujah Thank you Jesus Lord you're worthy of all the glory All the honor All the praise Makes me want to shout solid ground makes me Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Makes me want to shout. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We bless your name, Father. All the glory. All the honor. All the honor. All my praise. All my praise. It makes me want to shout. Oh, let's worship him, saints. Hallelujah. Lord God, all the glory, all the glory, all the honor, oh hallelujah, praise, thank you Jesus, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord Jesus, we worship you Lord, we worship you Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we're grateful not only to be in the house of God, but we're grateful to be the house of God. Hallelujah. Let's just sing something else, Harry. Let's just worship him a little, can we? Let's just take a few minutes before we go. Oh, my. This is our place. We sung this before. Let's this sing is it our again. place. Let's worship him. This is your house. Yes, Father. Father, come and dwell. Come and dwell. This is your house. This is your house. A holy, A holy house, house of prayer. prayer. Where the lost and the lonely bring their burdens and their cares. This is your house. Oh, this is your house, Lord. This is your house. Come and dwell. This is your house. Father, come and dwell. This is your house. house of prayer where the lost and the lonely can bring their burdens and their cares this is your house this is your house come and dwell this is your house. Father, 
come and where this is your house oh, holy house of prayer where the lost and the lonely can bring their burdens and their cares this is your your house come and dwell this is your house oh father come and dwell this is your house oh holy house of prayer where the lost and the lonely can bring their burdens and their care this is your this is your house come and dwell Come on now, let's sing it to the Lord. Since I've laid my burden down, hallelujah, well, I'm singing glory, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. since I've laid, laid my burden down. Feeling now, I feel better. Oh, so much better since I've laid my. Let's everybody sing it now. Oh, since I've laid it down, I feel better. Feeling so much better. Since 
Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we worship you tonight, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Don't you love him, children? Don't you love church? Oh, it's amazing how you can go somewhere and get just whooped up one side and down the other, and you just get tore to shreds and walk out and feel so much better. <laughs> Whoa, since I've laid my burdens down. Tell so where you been there, brother? Oh, I've been to church. Feel better. So much better. Oh, since I've laid, oh, since I've laid my burden down. Well, I'm feeling, feeling just like singing since I've laid my like singing since I laid my burden down. Friends don't treat me like they used to since I laid my burden My old friends don't treat me like they used to since I the Lord. I sat in the cancer specialty center today with my little girl and I heard the doctor ask her how you been feeling the last few days and a smile comes over her face she said it's the best three or maybe four days she said that I've had in a long time I'm feeling better Praise the Lord. God is good all the time, ain't he? Even through trials and tests and tribulation, things that we go through. Brother Aaron, come sing something for us and dismiss us, buddy. And it be good to be in the house of the Lord. God bless you, saints. Love you so much. in the Lord to speak to us.
Amen. Enjoy the word of the Lord this evening. Let's just sing this little chorus as you go tonight. How great is our God. Amen. No better way to end the service than to say how great he is. Oh, how great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our Sing with me how great. 